Good morning. I'm going to ask you to do something with me this morning a little different. I'm going to ask you if you just close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment. and Because here's what I know about all of us in the room. Just every head bowed and eye closed. That as we came in this room with maybe some junk in our lives, maybe some struggles in our lives. And that song we just sang, as Brett said, is a song that reminds us that all of the stuff we go through can make sense in light of the cross. And so this morning, wherever you find yourself, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you're frustrated, if you're trying to find your way, would you just simply pray this prayer that I will pray for us? Jesus, help me understand life as I consider the cross. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the moments we've had this morning and the moments we're about to have as we enter into your word. I pray with all of my heart that no matter where we find ourselves, stressed, struggling, searching, or even excited about what's going on in our lives, that today that we would make sense of things as we truly consider the cross. So God, just be with us today. May you bless our time together. In your name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, we are kind of not really wrapping up. It'll continue next week. This series of this changes everything. And I, we keep coming back to this because of this truth, that hopefully if you're a believer in the room today, you understand and you believe that it is the cross and the resurrection of Christ that truly changes everything. And so the last couple of weeks and even today, we've been asking this question, what in the world difference does the cross really make? What in the world difference? I know, you know, many people have an image of, you know, churches with crosses up or, you know, you know, just different imageries or different movies, but really in the world, what difference does the cross make to you? And so what we've done the last couple of weeks and we'll continue today is we've taken three individuals. We've taken some individuals that are very much a part of the last hour of Jesus' last hours of Jesus' life, but and asking the question, because we don't talk about them very much, what in the world difference did the cross make for them? And if you remember, we started with the Roman centurion. And if you think about the Roman centurion, just to kind of take you back there, here's a guy who's loyal only to Rome. Above everything else, he is loyal to a nation, not a God, not a person, but a nation. This Roman loyalist who was a leader of a hundred different men probably gave the orders based off of Pontius Pilate's orders to him to do the things to Jesus that was done to him. And let me remind you what those were. Scourging, which was flogging, which was taking the cat of nine tails and 39 lashes on the back of Jesus. He saw the crown of thorns fashioned and placed and shoved on his head. He saw his soldiers beat him with a reed on the head. He saw his soldiers spit on him. And then ultimately, this Roman centurion saw the Savior of the world crucified on a cross as if he really was a criminal. And the interesting thing about the Roman centurion is this. If you remember, based on what he saw, but then what he heard. I don't know about you, but when I get abused or I feel like I'm mistreated, I come out fighting. Anybody else like that? Come on. So some of you just take it. Liars, liars, liars. You may be passive aggressive, but you fight somehow, right? But here's a guy, Jesus, who was innocent and on the cross. And I'm sure the Roman centurion must have thought what I expect to hear is words of anger, of words of just condemnation, of judgment. But that's not what he heard. What he heard were words like this, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing what he saw was brutal but what he heard was love forgiveness and mercy and then we read in the story where the Roman centurion came to this conclusion truly this is the son of God 
based on what I've seen and now what I've heard, this is the only conclusion I can come to. He truly is the Son of God. And we challenge you with this thought. What conclusion have you come to about Jesus? And I would challenge the same thing this morning, three weeks later. What conclusion have you come to? Because there may be some of you in the room today that still have not decided what you think or what you're going to do with this person, Jesus. And I just want to say this to you, that one day you're going to stand before a holy God and you're going to have to give an account of what you did with Jesus. Who do you say that he really is? If he was just a good teacher, if he was just a good miracle worker, if he was just kind of a cool guy, and if he is not the savior of the world to you, when you stand that day, you will stand condemned and in judgment for all eternity. But if you will say that I know that Jesus, I gave my life to him, and he is the son of God, we have the hope of all eternity. And then last week we talked about another guy, Joseph of Arimathea. And I love that story because Joseph... Was, was, a, was a man who was part of what was called the Sanhedrin. He was a guy who was the elite of the elite of the elite in Jewish culture. I mean, there was like 70 guys, and actually 71 counting the high priest, but 70 other guys that were the best of the best of the best. And he was one of those. And yet the Bible told us that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. But you know what? After the cross of Christ, that Joseph, who was secret and private about his faith, became very public, didn't he? Remember that? He became courageous and bold in his faith. And the challenge was this. How many of us live our lives every day in secret as if we are secret followers of Christ? How many of us would be honest enough to say the truth is I'm more of an admirer of Jesus than I really am a follower of Jesus? Because following Jesus is a public effort. While my confession of faith and my trust in Jesus is a private matter, it lives itself out and my actions are very public. And I just challenge you with this simple thing. Don't be like Joseph before the cross. Be like Joseph after the cross. Be so moved by the cross of Christ that you don't care who knows it. You remember the elf scene when he walks in? He goes, it's my dad, and I don't care who knows it. Remember that? If you haven't seen elf, shame on you, right? (laughs) That's the attitude we should have. Jesus is my Savior, and I just don't care who knows it. And today we're going to look at a whole different guy. This guy, you're going to go, man, where, where are we going with this one? Well, follow me. Because all of us will be this guy today. All of us are the guy we're going to talk about today. The day, today, the guy we're going to talk about, his name is Barabbas. All of us are Barabbas is in the room. Now, what I want to do is I want to kind of talk about what does the Bible say who he is. I want to talk a little bit about the trial scene that he was with as he was standing there beside Jesus. But ultimately, I want to come to this question. What in the world difference did the cross make for Barabbas? First of all, who was he? Now, into that culture way back when, names meant something. For example, there was early in the Gospels, there was a, a disciple that was trying to go recruit another disciple, and he went out to him and said, hey, listen, won't you come with us, and we're going to follow Jesus of Nazareth. And this guy looks at this other disciple and says, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Why? Because they understood names meant something. So if Jesus was from Nazareth, Nazareth was like no th- nothing special. It was a humdrum average. And you're telling me the Savior of the world came from Nazareth? Look, I'm not following that dude. So names meant something. So the name Barabbas means something. Now, many Roman historians believe that Barabbas' first name would have been Jesus, which would have been Jesus. That's why we have Matthew says, actually, that Barabbas and Jesus, the son of the, who is the Christ. It's a kind of interesting way we do that. We don't have any biblical evidence of that, but what we do know is he had a name Barabbas, and Barabbas meant something. Barabbas is a Greek compound word. Bar means son of Abba. We've heard that before, haven't we? Abba means father, daddy, teacher. 
And so what we know is by the name Barabbas, whatever his first name was, that Barabbas, that he was a son of a father, a son of a teacher, meaning most scholars believe that Barabbas must have grown up in a Jewish home, obviously, where the parent, the dad in the home, was a religious leader of some kind. He obviously was exposed to the truth about God, Barabbas was. But yet listen to what Scripture says about him. First of all, John chapter 18, verse 40 says this. And Pilate's talking to the crowd, and they said this. They cried out, the crowd, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a what? A robber. He's a robber. He was a thief. I mean, one of the things the Scripture tells us about this Barabbas, now remember, who is a guy who is a son of a teacher or a father, meaning he grew up in what we would call maybe a God-fearing kind of home. But yet, here's what the Bible says about him. He's a thief. He was a robber. He was someone that would go out and manipulate people just to steal things from them. But that's not all the Bible says. Mark chapter 15 says this. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. In other words, it says there was this guy named Barabbas who was a part of this insurrection. Let me just kind of tell you what was going on. During the time of Jesus' life in Rome, there was an uprising among the Jewish people. They were trying to overthrow Rome. And one of the guys who was part of this revolution or insurrection was Barabbas. Now, it's interesting enough, you know, when Jesus came to Pilate, you remember when that story happened, and, and Pilate basically looked at Jesus and go, you guys are accusing him of what? I find no guilt in this man. Now, why would Barabbas be so flippant and going, I don't find any guilt in this guy? Because of everything else he was dealing with in Rome that day. He's like, look, if you're calling this guy a rebel, you have no idea what the rebels I'm dealing with. This guy is just like nothing. This guy is like a good guy. And you think he's a criminal? Come on, you have no idea what the revolutionaries that I'm dealing with. Well, guess who one of those revolutionaries he was dealing with was? Barabbas. And so the Barabbas was a part of this insurrection, this revolution, this rebellion, but it says he was a murderer. Now, I, want you, I, just want, I know you, you know that means to kill somebody, but let me take it a little step further. Murder in the Hebrew and in the Greek means someone who's premeditatedly gone out to take someone's life. In other words, Barabbas's goal in this revolution was, I'm going to on purpose kill as many people as I can kill. It's not about justice. It's not about the revolution. This is, I have a warrant and I have a way to go kill people and I'm going to do all I can do. I'm going to kill as many people as I can. That's the kind of man he was. He wasn't just a robber. He was a rebel who was out to murder people. You kind of get in the character of who Barabbas is? Yeah, are you with me? Say, I got you. Let's look again. Matthew chapter 27, verse 16 says this about Barabbas. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So he's a robber, he's a rebel, he's a murderer, but it says he's a notorious prisoner. That's interesting terminology, isn't it? Notorious. For example, if I said this to you, the name Charles Manson, what's the first thing that would come to your mind? <laughs> well, yes. What did you say? Serial killer, right? Killer, murderer. So would you say that Charles Manson is notorious for what he's done? People know. When you say the name Charles Manson, you automatically think serial killer, murderer, right? That was Barabbas before there was internet. That was Barabbas before the cell phone generation. This is Barabbas that he was a notorious prisoner, meaning everybody knew Barabbas was a robber and that he was a murderer and that he was a rebel. 
Everybody knew it. Nobody was, that was unaware that when you said the name Barabbas, people go, that's a robber, that's a murderer, he's just one bad dude. Now think about that. Bar Abba, son of a teacher, father, who was exposed to godly principles, is a robber, a murderer, and a notorious prisoner. That's who he was. But I want you to think a little bit about the scene that Barabbas found himself in. Matthew chapter 27. Let me read some verses to you today. Verse 15 through 23 says this. Now, at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. Talking about the Jewish people wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered Pilate to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Christ? For he knew that he was put out, uh, he was out of envy that they brought him, Jesus, to him. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, men, always listen to your wives. All right? Now, if you're not laughing, it's because you're not listening, right? Because this story's about to get really good right here. And if you're a wife, please don't hit your husband. Listen to this. It says, besides, while he was sitting there in the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And she had a dream about Jesus and what was going to happen. And she's like, honey, leave this man alone. And obviously we know he did not listen to his wife. Verse 21, the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Now, I just want to kind of get you into the mindset of what was going on in that moment. In the custom of the Jewish culture, over Passover, the week of Passover, that, that final week there, what Rome would do, because they wanted to show respect for Jewish religion and hopefully kind of tame down the revolution that was going on, they would release customarily one prisoner. They would take two out there, and they would go, which one of these two prisoners do you want? To show of good kindness and faith for you and your faith, we're going to release one of these prisoners to you. Typically, those prisoners were petty thieves, just they stole a little bit, they took a little bit, they just weren't all that good for the Jewish people, but they weren't hard criminals. So here's Pilate, you gotta think about Pilate for a minute. Here's Pilate going, okay, there's this Jesus who's just totally innocent. There's nothing wrong with this dude. And then I got Barabbas. I mean, he's a notorious prisoner, he's a murderer, he's a robber. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put both these guys out there because I know which way this is gonna go. Do you want this guy who is nothing more than a miracle-working rabbi that you're a little ticked off at, or do you want this murderer over here? Because this guy, while he kind of annoys you possibly a little bit, he's not a threat to you. This guy is a threat to you and to your life. So I'm gonna put him out there. Can you imagine Pilate's mentality going, I know which one they're gonna pick. We're gonna, they're gonna say, Release Jesus, right? So he offers it to the crowd. And then one verse I didn't read, and I'm going to go back to this. It says in verse 19, it says that his wife told him to stay away from this righteous man, for he suffered much during a dream. And it says, now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd. So here's what happened. Pilate's standing out on the terrace. Who do you want? Barabbas? Or this... Jesus, come on. And it says the chief priests and leaders, in other words, 
religious, supposedly godly people are out in the crowd going, pick Jesus or pick Barabbas, pick Barabbas, pick Barabbas. Don't go with Jesus. Now, it's interesting. The leadership, the godly people are out there and they persuade the crowd. Now, let me just tell you about this crowd. It's Passover. This crowd had thousands of people there. If you were Jew, you were in Jerusalem on that day. And some of the same people four days earlier that cried, Hosanna, blessed of you, the son of David, as Jesus triumphantly entered the city, are some of the same people that are crying, crucify him. And so they cried out. And he says, what do I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. And then look with me in verse 26. It says this, 24. It says this. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, in other words, he was making no ground, but rather that a riot was beginning. Now, this is bad for Pilate because we already have a revolution that's going on. So when he saw this riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people answered, his blood will be on us and our children. Then he released them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. This guilty man and this innocent man, the crowd asked for the guilty man. And here's the Bible says, then Barabbas was released and Jesus was led to be crucified. That's the scene. That's the person of Barabbas. Which leads me to the question I want us to camp on for a few minutes, and it's this. What in the world difference did the cross of Christ make for a murderous, robbing, notorious prisoner named Barabbas? Well, I would submit this to you. First of all, from a spiritual standpoint, we have no idea. Spiritually, we know nothing about Barabbas at that point. But what we do know is some physical things that the cross meant for him, which for us will be some spiritual things. The first thing, and I want you to write this down because this is huge for us today. The first thing that the difference uh, the cross made for Barabbas was this. Jesus literally took his place, right? Jesus took Barabbas' place. Barabbas, because he was a notorious prisoner who was part of a rebellion against Rome, his life would have ended on a cross because he was that kind of criminal. It wasn't just like a petty thief. He was a heinous criminal, and the cross would have been his death. Jesus took his place. An innocent man took the place of a known criminal. Jesus was his substitute. Jesus was his substitute. Jesus took on the full wrath of the Roman government when he was crucified on the cross. And here's maybe the best way I could put it. Jesus died so Barabbas could live. Are you with me this morning? Jesus died so that Barabbas could live. And I want to submit this to you this morning. That is our story too. Jesus took our place. 2 Corinthians says this. It'll be on the screen. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Paul is saying this, that Jesus who never sinned took on our sin so that by faith in him one day we could stand in right standing with God. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. Listen, what we deserved, come on, we are the criminal. I know we don't think of ourselves this way. We are the robbers. We are the murderers. We are the notorious sinners. What we deserve, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. What we deserve because we sin is death and eternal separation. But what God offers us 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he offers us is not condemnation. What he offers us is eternal life. Romans 5.8 says this, that God demonstrated his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to understand something this morning. Jesus is your substitute. You deserve death. I deserve death. In fact, Jesus paid a debt that wasn't even his to pay, and he paid a debt that I could never pay. Jesus died that you and I might live. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus died so that we could live. Amen? So we are Barabbas, aren't we? And the beautiful thing about this is, that, is that simply that Jesus took his place. Let me give you another thing the cross made a difference for Barabbas was this, that Barabbas was set free. Because Jesus died on the cross, they let Barabbas go. Now just think about this. An innocent Jesus condemned as a criminal and a guilty Barabbas released as though he never committed a crime. Think about that. An innocent Jesus condemned as if he was a criminal and a guilty Barabbas released as if he never committed a crime. Barabbas was freed from his guilt, from his shame, and from his payment of his sins. Now just please hear me this morning because I'm already almost done. That's our story too. When you put your faith in Christ and you think about the cross and what he's done for you, he, he died on the cross. Yes, he took our place. Yes, he died so we could live. But he died so that we could be set free. He died so that we could be free from the bondage of sin. You may not know this, but if you don't know Christ as your Savior, sin reigns and rules in your life. But when you say yes to Jesus, you are free from the bondage of sin. Yes, we blow it, and yes, we sin, and yes, we mess up, but sin does not master me anymore because Jesus Christ is my King of kings and my Lord of lords, and he lives in me, and I will not be mastered by anything except him. I am free from the bondage of sin, and I'm also free from the condemnation of sin. I deserve hell. Did you hear? You deserve hell. We deserve hell. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we're able to stand before a holy God and be seen as innocent because Jesus paid my price. And I'm free from the guilt and shame that comes with my sin because I have been pardoned and I have been forgiven. And I am free to live eternally with him forever. And I just want you to know this morning, church, please kind of lock into this this morning. As you think about this heinous, awful, criminal named Barabbas, listen, we are Barabbases this morning. Jesus took our place too. He died so that we might live eternally. Jesus was condemned. And Jesus died so that we could be set free like Barabbas, spiritually, from sin, condemnation, guilt, and shame. And I'm not trying to beat you up this morning, but I want you to understand the beauty of the cross of Christ and what he did for you, what he did for us. Because without the cross, I stand condemned. I stand as a dead man. But because of what Jesus did for me, he took my place he died to set me free, and he died so that I can live. So here's my question to you, just an honest question to you. 
what difference in the world does the cross make for you? When you consider the cross, does it lead you to that point of making a conclusion like the Roman centurion and go, you know what, after everything I see and everything I'm hearing and everything I'm reading, here's my only conclusion, that Jesus did love me, that God loved me and he sent his son to die for me. So my conclusion is this, that he is the Christ, he is the son of God, he is the savior of the world and I'm going to surrender my life to him. Have you come to that conclusion because of the cross? Some of you haven't, some of you haven't. Or if you're a Christian in the room today, has, when you think about the cross, does it lead you to the point of deciding that I'm no longer going to be a secret follower of Christ, but I'm going to live publicly for him with courage and boldness, declaring my Savior and my love for him? Has it led you to that path? And my prayer for all of us today is this, is that the cross, thinking about the cross, will remind us of the price he paid for us. Jesus took our place and he paid our price so that we could have eternal life. That's what he did. Now, have you been pushed that far? What difference does the cross really make to you this morning? Because listen, next week, it's not about Easter eggs. Next week, it's not about what new outfit you're going to wear and come in looking fine in. It's not about that. Next week is about this. A dead man came back to life. And because he rose, I can live. And because he rose, heaven is my home. Because he rose, he was not a liar, but he was the son of God. And I'm just telling you, when you think about the cross of Christ, what does it lead you to? What is your conclusion? Are you living secretly for him? And are you being this morning reminded that he took your place, he paid your price so that you could have eternal life? Now, beyond my words, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take just a moment, and I want you in just a second to watch this video and let it drill down on the truth we've talked about this morning. But more importantly, would you let this idea of what Jesus has done for you, would you let it just simmer in your heart? Would you ignore the people around you, the noise, the coughs, the whatevers? And would you put your undivided attention on that screen and let the words, the music, and the pictures resonate with what Jesus did for you and let it simmer in your soul and then I will come back and lead us in where we're headed. All right, just watch this.
Amen? Here's what I believe. I believe in light of what we talked about the last three weeks, there's two ways that we need to respond. One is for some of you, you just need to receive it. You just need to say, I've lived my life, I've been walking a journey, I'm searching, and I need to surrender my life to Jesus. And if that's you, sometime, we still have some time to worship, but sometime before you exit later today, would you grab one of us and say, would you talk to me about Christ? But for those of us that are followers of Jesus, can I tell you what our response should be? To celebrate. To celebrate that I was dead in my sins, that I was condemned because of what Jesus did for me, I now have freedom. Now I have life because of what he did. And we're going to celebrate that. And here's how we celebrate that. We celebrate that by coming to the Lord's table, taking communion. And when you take the communion, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you take that bread. That bread represents a body that was beaten for you. Remember the whole talking of the scourging that took place and the cat of nine tails and the ripping of the flesh and the Bible says in Isaiah that he was beaten almost beyond the point of any semblance of being a human? When you take that bread, you're painting a picture of the body that was beaten for you. And then the grape juice is a picture of the blood. The Bible says there can be no forgiveness with sins without the shedding of blood. Jesus shed his blood so that we could have life. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, after I pray for us, to go to a table here. There's a table there. We have a setup in the back there behind by the camera. If you would just go take that bread, take a moment, take the bread, and dip it into the juice and partake of the supper, thanking him and celebrating what he's done for you. Hey, isn't he worth it? Isn't he worth celebrating? You better believe it. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. As you feel led, please take the supper, and then please reverently come back to your seats because we want to continue in a time of worship and celebrating and singing to our Savior as our band leads us. Let's pray together. Let's everybody stand up with me if you will, and we're going to pray. Father God, I just love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for when I see this person, Barabbas, who physically... You took his place on that cross. Who physically, because you died on the cross, he was set free. God, both of those truths are true for me spiritually. My sin and my rebellion against you, what I deserve is separation. But you took my place. You died on the cross for my sins. That if I put my faith in you and trust you, that my sins are forgiven, and that you've spiritually set me free from the bondage and the condemnation of sin. So God, I pray for us today. I pray for those who don't know you as their Savior, that before they leave, after we sing in a moment and celebrate, before they leave, they would find someone and say, please tell me what it means to know Christ. And then I pray for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that we would truly be at that place this morning that we would celebrate what you've done for us. Celebrate the price that you paid. Celebrate the reason you paid the price, and that's because you loved us. A love sometimes we don't get. A love we obviously don't understand, but a love that we are so thankful for. And so, God, today may we as believers celebrate you, celebrate Jesus by taking the supper. God, be with us today. Move in our hearts only as you can. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.
I'm going to ask you if you would, if, as you feel led, you just partake in the supper, make your way back to your seats as we continue to worship. You can begin that right now. One with God.